Broadcasting live from the KVXL studios at Liberty Baptist Church in Las Vegas. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. The Frittle Show with Crystal Heath. I've said that we must be cautious in claiming God is on our side. I think the real question we must answer is, are we on his side? Faith, family, freedom. For me, it's very simple. I think we've got to, we've got to get the country back on the right track with the most inspiring agenda. A voice in the desert. Now, here's Crystal Heath. Hello, everyone. Hope you are having a wonderful March. How did it get to be March already? When did this happen? Well, two days ago, to be precise. I'm Crystal Heath. You're listening to The Fertile Show on KVXL 101.1 FM, Experience Liberty Radio, or perhaps on iTunes or SoundCloud or iHeartRadio or some other favorite place where you find your favorite podcast. Thanks for being with us. Some Las Vegas resorts ready to reopen fully. 24-7 operations resuming at some MGM properties around the Strip this week. Probably the best headline the best headline I've seen this week came from, of course, uh, the Babylon Bee. Texas removes mask mandate to scare all the Californians away. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Sometimes they have some good stuff. And I, I laughed literally out loud when I read that. Which doesn't happen very often when I read most headlines. But that was... That was a pretty good one. Texas celebrating their literal Texas Independence Day yesterday, meaning Tuesday. If you're listening to the podcast edition or on the radio, you may not be listening on Wednesday, but we're recording on Wednesday, and so it was yesterday. Texas celebrated their independence, and as they celebrated independence, very appropriately, Governor Abbott lifted their mask mandate requirement. Stimulus bill has still not gone through. Things are... Getting down to the wire here this week, moderate Democrats actually pushing back on President Biden and uh, Senator Schumer. As they go through this plan, they have some requirements. They'd like to see the stimulus payments of $1,400 be more targeted. They want to lower the weekly federal unemployment benefits to $300 instead of the $400. Um, and uh, they also want an extension of some small business tax credits, money for rural hospitals, more money for broadband, a few other things happening. Really interesting to see how these moderate Democrats are responding uh, responding here to this situation. But that's not what you're here for. You're here possibly because the title of this episode is, in fact, Cancel Culture. You know, from the Mandalorian to the Coca-Cola Bears, to Mr. Potato Head, there's outrage over the right and sometimes even the misguided items in cancel culture. So, where to begin? Where to begin? Because this has just kind of, uh, between Dr. Seuss and Mr. Potato Head, cancel culture has come to the forefront again this, uh, this, this past week. Sorry, excuse me. So let's talk, let's start with Mr. Potato Head. All right? Because I saw a lot of memes about Mr. Potato Head, a lot of people talking about Mr. Potato Head, but the facts of the matter are that Mr. Potato Head isn't actually going anywhere, but he is changing. That is, his packaging is changing, and I think sometimes we get so caught up in the memes, and then we get so caught up in the in the post meme memes of oh, actually he's not changing, that we don't even know what's actually happening because instead of going to the source, we just look at what's happening on the memes on Facebook. So let's dive in beyond the memes because here's what you may or may not know. The toy giant Hasbro creates Mr. Potato Head. 
And on Thursday, Hasbro faced a wave of backlash last week from consumers who were like, uh, I'm sorry, what, you're changing Mr. Po- you're not going to have Mr. Potato Head anymore? Well, Hasbro responded and said that there will still be Mr. Potato Head and Mrs. Potato Head. They still exist. The difference is that the brand's name is changing. So you can still buy a Mr. Potato Head box. You can still buy a Mrs. Potato Head box. But the branding of the business will no longer be Mr. Potato Head. It will simply be Potato Head. Okay. However, Hasbro also released images of the new packaging with the new Potato Head branding. So there's a Mr. Potato Head, there's Mrs. Potato Head. Then there's the Potato Head family, which you can buy a set of two adult Potato Heads and baby Potato Head. Now, on the set of the family... 45-piece set, so you could buy Mr. Potato Head, Mrs. Potato Head. (laughs) Interestingly, Mr. Potato Head actually comes with 13 pieces, I believe, and Mrs. Potato Head only comes with 12, so I don't know what's going on there, Hasbro. (laughs) But the family set, I believe, comes with 45 pieces, and the packaging shows uh, three sets of families. So there's a big image of Baby Potato, which I didn't even know they made Baby Potato Heads. But Baby Potato Head, apparently genderless, I don't really know. And then you have three pictures of families. You have a picture of families with a mom and a dad. And then you have pictures of families with two dads, or two Mr. Potato Heads, if you will, and two Mrs. Potato Heads, and picture of one family with a Mr. and a Mrs. Potato Head. So two moms, two dads. Did you know about that? Did you know that that's what's good? Like that's the actual imagery on the packaging when you were raging over whether a toy potato is branded with a Mr. or not? I kind of doubt it. So so here's here's point number one in the cancel culture discussion, okay? Point number one, don't be part of the problem. Don't jump on the cancel culture bandwagon because you just read the headlines and don't actually know what's going on. Or just responded to a meme. Or just screenshotted a meme. Or just screenshotted something that you saw somebody say somewhere. No, no, no. Go to the source. Go to the company that makes the product and you might find out it may may not be as bad as you think. It may be worse than you think. But if you're going to be outraged, at least be outraged about the right thing. Okay, so don't jump on the cancel culture bandwagon just because you read the headlines. Which brings us to being less white. Yes, I'm guessing you probably saw this one. Coca-Cola told their staff in an online training seminar to try to be less white. Fox 5 DC uh, reported and shared... um, I'm sorry, actually, there's a... Who did this? Uh, I don't know who this person is. Let me find out who they are. Um, Harmeet Dillon of the Liberty Center. So the Center for American Liberty, sorry. Shared screenshots from a whistleblower that was part of this Coca-Cola training. Okay? The training was called Confronting Racism. Subtitle. Understanding what it means to be white. Challenging what it means to be racist. Whoa, that seems, that seems like a pretty blanket statement. 
a slide that says, to be less white is to be less oppressive, be less arrogant, be less certain, be less defensive, be less ignorant, be more humble, listen, believe, break with apathy, break with white solidarity. Another slide. In the United States and other Western nations, white people are socialized to feel that they are inherently superior because they are white. Research shows that by age three to four, children understand that it is better to be white. Another slide. Try to be less white. Now, the definitions that they share here in what it actually means to be less white, there, there's a few I would say, you know, positive, even biblical elements. Be more humble. Listen. Break with apathy. Be less defensive. But then, um, then there are others. Like, be less certain. Be less certain? Be less certain of what exactly? Be less oppressive. Because your, your whiteness is inherently oppressive. Be less ignorant, because apparently being white makes you inherently ignorant. And then the statement that, that white children are socialized to feel more morally superior? I, I'm going to need, by the way, there were no sources quoted in any of this on these studies that show these things, but how and I'm not saying they don't exist, I'm just saying they weren't quoted. Like, there's no supporting documentation whatsoever, no footnotes, no endnotes that are visible in these presentations. But how, how, I need to know, how are children being taught to feel morally superior? How is this happening? Because clearly we shouldn't be teaching that. Also, break with white solidarity. What does, what does that even mean? I don't even understand what this means. And, and I ask you, dare I ask you, because this will probably make me racist, but what happens if you insert any other skin tone into that statement? When the hypocrisy is overwhelming. Can you imagine? Break with black solidarity. What if, what if, what if we said to be less black was to be less ignorant. I, I mean, that seems like it would be a pretty racist thing to say. And if we are making a statement that is based solely on someone's skin color, with no documentation or explanations of anything other than your skin color causes you to be this way, then that seems like racism, and the hypocrisy is kind of overwhelming here. So when we talk about cancel culture with regards to Coca-Cola, this was again where the memes were just going absolutely crazy about Coca-Cola canceling the polar bears. Now, Coca-Cola hasn't made any such statement that co the bears have been canceled because they were white. There was a, a hubbub, I believe it was in 2019, about whether Coca-Cola should be using polar bears and if it was insensitive because they were going extinct. I, I don't know why that would be insensitive to the polar bears, but you know, whatever. But Coca-Cola didn't cancel the bears, and at or at least they have not said they're canceling or have canceled the bears because they are polar or white bears. But they did have a training session telling employees to be less white. So they might be canceling white people, but not polar bears. 
I, I, I just, again, my brain just can't even with this. I, I really don't get I mean, racism is evil. And I just, I, I have a very hard time equating the two when our culture is screaming at us to celebrate blackness. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't, but we, we celebrate and promote black businesses, black history. We have apparel that just says black on it or black repeatedly or I'm rooting for black people. But if you replace the word black with white, then it's automatically racist and makes you worthy of cancellation. But if the word is black, then it's worthy of celebration. So if the word is white, cancel it. If it's black, celebrate it. I don't understand. It, how is that not... <sighs> Hypocrisy is the problem with our politics and largely with our culture. Like, like it's just there, we have such a problem with hypocrisy. So take, take Governor Cuomo. He's now being canceled, if you will, but not because of what he actually did with COVID and that we know that he did, that his staff said that they did with just this complete debacle in New York. And, and he wrote a book about how successful they were. But no, no, it wasn't success. They were putting people back in nursing homes, people dying, numbers fudging. Uh, but and now that the mainstream media is actually looking at this and people's eyes are being opened, what's happening? Now they're pivoting. They're pivoting to se sexual abuse accusations. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't take sexual abuse accusations seriously, obviously. Um, but now we can focus on the presumed failures of the man based on accusations. Again, I'm not saying they shouldn't be looked into. But it's almost as if you have these, these sexual harassment charges coming up conveniently. Again, not saying that they couldn't be true or that they shouldn't be investigated. But the timing just seems very interesting. And almost like Democrats and their friends in the media have a, now a convenient way to get rid of Cuomo without admitting they were wrong to cover up his uh, killing spree with coronavirus. Like we can just kind of brush that under the rug and say we're getting rid of him because of this reason, and that way we don't ever have to deal with the fact that maybe, maybe the policies and procedures and things that we celebrated and things that we promoted and said were true were not so true, but now we just won't deal with that because we are just going to focus on this scandal instead. Um, but going back, to the, going back to the racism element for a minute here, did you notice that... Okay, there, there is one meme in this whole cancel culture situation that I absolutely love, and that is, that is the Mr. Potato Head. It's supposed to be like him entering the gates of heaven, and then you have all the canceled brands, all the canceled characters, all the canceled figures, like waiting for him in the canceled, canceled characters' heavenly realm. <laughs> That's pretty hilarious. But did you notice that what they have done or I should say what our culture has done is that we've removed people of color from branding. We've removed them off our shelves because of racism. So we say it's racist to use their faces to sell a product, despite the incredible actual stories of people like Uncle Ben or Aunt Jemima, they are gone. They're gone because the history is racist or it's racist to have their face on there. And, and we could argue that element of it. I, I think that you, you should be aware of the actual history, though, before you argue that this should be removed from it, but... Uh, regardless, the point I want to make is this. Have you noticed that they have not removed a single white face on ev anything? And does that not beg the question of perhaps it, there is an element of racism in removing people like Aunt Jemima or Uncle Ben? Now, granted, uh, if... if uh, again, I don't have time today because I have a lot more I want to say, but please just, just go look at their history and who these people actually were before you're like, why would you even say that? It's, it's supporting slavery. No, 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 no. These people, they were celebrated. This is something they wanted. It was their brand. 
I mean, we still have Chef Boyardee. We have the, what is this, the sun-dried, is it sun-dried raisins? The girl that's on the raisins. You have the Quaker Oats Man. I mean, think about it. There are now no people of color represented on any of the branding in any of our stores. And racists back in the day didn't want people of color shopping where they shopped, if you will. But could it be that racists today don't want people of color even represented where they shop? And cancel culture is just a convenient way for them to eliminate more of our history? Something to think about. I'm not saying it is that or isn't that. I'm just saying something to think about. Because at the end of the day, this isn't about truth. It's about, it's about the optics. That's what cancel culture is. It's about optics. It's about political expediency. And it has to stop. We have to be willing to stand up and say, no, nope, that's not right. That's not right. And it's not enough for the people being canceled to say it's not right. The, 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 cance- the people that aren't being canceled have to stand up for the people being canceled and say, this is not right. And, and you, you've heard the poem, First They Came, by Martin Niemöller. I know you have. He's, he's the one that wrote, First they came for the communists, and I did not speak out because I was not a communist. Then they came for the socialists, and I did not speak out because I was not a socialist. Then they came for the trade unionists, and I did not speak out because I was not a trade unionist. Then they came for the Jews, and I did not speak out because I was not a Jew. Then they came for me, and there was no one left to speak out for me. Everybody knows the poem, okay? But do you know the story of this guy? Because this is more than just a poem. This was literally his life. He wasn't just writing some cute little do- little little story. No, no, no. This is the legacy of a man who wasn't being canceled, who chose not to speak out against other t- cancellations, or actually applauded the cancellations himself. And I, I really wanted to get into more of his life today because I think it would shock you to find out who this guy was. Because we, we all like to say his quote, but we have no idea that this was actually his life. And not only was it his life, but he was, a, he was a revolutionary guy in Germany. He served in the German Navy during World War I. He ended up becoming a, uh, a Lutheran pastor. But his sermons, he was a strong German nationalist. Um, but he, he felt that reparations and democracy and foreign influence had, uh, had fragmented the social fabric of, of Germany by placing overemphasis on the individual. He thought that Germany needed a strong leader to promote national unity and honor. And when Hitler and the National Socialist Party emerged with their nationalist slogans, their autonomy for private worship, uh, Niemöller voted for the Nazis twice. In the 1924 Prussian state elections and in the final national parliamentary elections of 1933. Hitler, and, and this is really fascinating, I, I wrote about this in my book, God in Government, I'm not going to get into it much today, but Hitler, Hitler embraced the importance of Christianity to German nationality and Christianity's re- role in, in national morality and ethics. And so many pastors went along with this enthusiastically, including this guy named Martin Niemöller. And Niemöller's conflicts with National Socialism ended up coming from his opposition to German Christians. Now, German Christians, that doesn't just mean like people who are Christians in Germany. German Christians were a pro-Nazi faction within the German Protestant, or the German Protestant Church that tried to apply Nazi racial dogma to church membership. And that's where Niemöller's conflict began. And, and, and once there was that conflict within the church, Niemöller began to, to speak out against this. 
but but it's it's oh man, I wish I had time to get into this guys. Okay, we're gonna get into some more of his story. I'm gonna go a little longer than I was anticipating because just I need to tell you some more of this story. Okay, you can you can read about this the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum. You should read this guy's whole story. Okay. Um. Niemöller's, and this is part of what they had written, Niemöller's doctrinal opposition to the German Christians did not initially alter his political support for Hitler and the Nazis. When Hitler defiantly led Germany out of the League of Nations in October 1933, Niemöller sent him a telegram of, con- of congratulations. Um, anti-Semitism was widespread within the PEL uh, and subsequently in the Confessing Church. Niemöller is a member of, of both here. Niemöller remained an outspoken anti-Semite throughout the 1930s, justifying his prejudices by referring to Christian teachings that the Jews were guilty of deicide or the killing of Jesus. A, the turning point in Niemöller's political sympathies finally came in January 1934 upon meeting Adolf Hitler. Niemöller and two other prominent Protestant bishops had, were meeting with him to discuss state pressure on churches. And at that meeting, it became clear that Niemöller's phone had been tapped by the Gestapo and that his denomination was under close state surveillance. Following the meeting, the two bishops signed a statement of unconditional loyalty to the Fuhrer. In contrast, Niemöller came to see the Nazi state as a dictatorship and one which he would then oppose. The doctrinal disputes and his meeting with Hitler led to his founding of the Confessing Church, who declared itself to be the one true Lutheran church in Germany, and, uh, and, and they separated from the German Christians and from the, the, the German Christian, like the denomination, and others who were aligning their Christian faith with Nazism. He was a charismatic preacher, became widely known throughout Berlin, where he was based for his critical sermons, both of of the Fuhrer and of others. He was arrested, charged with treasonable statements, spent seven years in a concentration camp. He was liberated by U.S. troops in Tyrol, Austria, after being transported by the SS from Dachau, along with other political prisoners. So you have this guy. I mean, and his and I skipped over lots of his story, but we we all know his saying. And it seems like a cute little saying, not not cute. That's the wrong word. It's a powerful saying, right? But when you know the actual story behind it, it becomes so much more real. Because not only did he not say anything about these people that were being come after because he wasn't one of them. But in some cases, he was actually celebrating and supporting the canceling, if you will, the extreme canceling. I, I know I'm, I'm simplifying that because obviously the Holocaust was the most horrific or one of the most horrific events in world history. But this guy, this guy was a pastor. This guy was a man who loved his country. This guy was a man who was involved in what was happening in the world around him. This guy was a guy who was passionate about, about truth, about, uh, about doing what was right in his nation. This guy was connected politically. And he was involved in this, in this cancel culture, if you will. And it wasn't until he met Hitler himself that he realized, whoa, whoa, wait a second. They're, they're going to come for me. 
They're going to come for the people that I minister to. They're going to come for the people that I love. And by then it was too late. Though once he realized it, he began to speak out against the atrocities that he had previously either permitted or encouraged. It was, it was too late. It was done. And he was next to go. And, and that's such a huge problem in our country today. We do not speak out for the ones who are being canceled until it is us, and by then it's often too late. And when I say canceled, I'm not talking about even necessarily like Mr. Potato Head style cancel, cancel culture, where people are speaking out without knowing the facts, or they're speaking out about the wrong thing, or we have a misplaced anger or misplaced vengeance style stuff going on. No, I'm talking about knowing what you're saying and choosing your battles wisely. I'm talking about when we have men competing in women's sports. And women's sports effectively being canceled. I'm talking about people losing their jobs because of their political convictions, which is not only against our constitution, but it's just outright cancel culture that needs to end. I'm talking about when we have bakers being dictated what they may or may not bake and they are forced to bend their knee to the mob of cancel culture. And yes, I'm even talking about a president being deplatformed because his tweets are deemed as mean, as mean or found by a, an anonymous fact checker to be incorrect. And you may not like that statement, but it does work this way. First they came for the Trumpers, and you didn't speak out because you weren't a Trumper. But you're on the list eventually. It may take months, it may take decades, but eventually they will come for you. Cancel culture will come for you. They will come for your family, they will come for your church, they will come for the things that you love. Unless you stand up, unless you speak out, unless you say no to a world gone mad, unless you live your life for truth, lies will eventually win. The good news is that we can stop it. <laughs> we can stop it. We can be the light in the darkness. In fact, that's our job. We have to be. Tell everyone you know, everyone you come in contact with, what Jesus is like, be the light. And when you have to, use words. That's, that's one of my favorite quotes. Tell everybody you know what Jesus is like when you have to, use words. Your life should be a walking demonstration of this is what Jesus is like. Christian means little Christ. You are supposed to be, uh, Paul said, you are an ambassador of Christ. When people see you, they should have an understanding of who Jesus is and what Jesus would be like. Your job is to be a light. And being a light does not mean going and running and hiding under a bushel. It means that you fight the hard battles. It means that you stand up for people that cannot stand up for themselves. It means that you stand up and that you be willing to say no. That you risk being canceled yourself to stand up for those that are being canceled that aren't yourself. That aren't, that aren't yourself. That aren't you. All right, we're going to wrap this up with Dr. Seuss because he is the latest on the chopping block of cancel culture. We have six Dr. Seuss books was announced that are not going to be published any longer because they are deemed to have been found to have racial imagery. We have Amazon now censoring books that people can buy. Uh, Dr. Seuss Enterprises told the Associated Press that these books... Uh, portray people in ways that are hurtful and wrong. Ceasing sales of these books is only part of our commitment and our broader plan to ensure Dr. Seuss's Enterprises catalog represents and supports all communities and families. Right, because like the zigzer zazzer zus, as you can plainly see, is, uh, I mean, okay. The books affected, and to think that I saw it on Mulberry Street, if I ran to the zoo, 
McElligot's Pool, On Beyond Zebra, Scrambled Egg Super, and The Cat's Quizzer, which, by the way, I've never heard or read any of these that I can remember. Um, those are the books that are being uh, canceled. So, in, And to think that I saw it on Mulberry Street, an Asian person is portrayed wearing a conical hat, holding chopsticks, and eating from a bowl. If I Ran the Zoo includes a drawing of two barefooted African men wearing what appear to be grass skirts with their hair tied above their heads. Um, so, they are being canceled for what has been deemed to be racist imagery. Now, I, I, again, I have not seen, I, as far as I know, I've never read, the, I have no memory of these books. We had the Dr. Seuss ABC book, and we read that like every night, and my dad would do voices for the different characters. And I have read other Dr. Seuss books, but it wasn't like a big part of our childhood reading. So instead of speaking to these images specifically, since I have not read these books, can we talk about what racism actually is? And I'm not going to dive too far into this because we did a four-part series on this on the podcast uh, last year with my friend Renita. You can go listen to that. But racism is not recognizing differences that exist between cultures. Racism is saying or believing or acting upon the idea that someone is less of a person or less capable or inferior because of their race. Racism is not what we today often attribute it to be. Acknowledging differences of culture or recognizing that differences in culture exist is not, at least necessarily, racism. And so when I read, you know, well, there's an Asian person using chopsticks who is eating from a bowl. I, maybe I'm missing something, but I get the feeling that anyone saying that that imagery would be racist, and if we're using the definition that racism implies that that would make, that they would be inferior because of their race, <laughs> are, you, are, you, are you saying that, like, portraying someone as using chopsticks would be inferior? Because anyone who actually believes that has obviously never used chopsticks for any extended period of time. Okay? This is not an easy task. I, I know because I spent um, a couple months in, in Asian cultures where the only utensils we were given to eat with were chopsticks. So you had to learn. And we ate everything with chopsticks. And that, that is, takes great skill. I'm still not good at it. I got a lot better because you, you have to. But... but I don't, I don't see how using chopsticks from a bowl makes you less of a person. And I'm, 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 you know, someday I'm probably going to get in trouble for this. But, but do you see what I'm saying? Until we define what racism is, like what is racism? What is racism? Until you define what that is, boil down, what is racism? And until you define what it is, then anything and everything can be canceled due to racism. And especially if we align racism with culture, and then of course there's appropriation, but I, I don't have time to get into that. But you, you literally have to cancel someone's culture, culture if you want to align with the definition of what racism is today. Does that make sense? Like, there, there, there has to be somewhere, like if we're going to celebrate culture, but also it's racist, the lines are getting very blurry. Because we're not just living in a time of cancel culture, but also in a far more literal sense, a canceling of culture. Because culture is being equated with race. 
But all right, back to Dr. Seuss. Because possibly the most well-written anti-racism allegory for children is from Dr. Seuss, and it's called The Sneetches. Okay? So this is where we're going to wrap things up today, with a reading of Dr. Seuss's The Sneetches by Dr. Seuss. Now the star belly sneetches had bellies with stars. The plain belly sneetches had none upon theirs. Though stars weren't so big, they were really so small. You might think such a thing wouldn't matter at all. But because they had stars, all the star belly sneetches would brag we're the best kind of sneetch on the beaches. With their snoots in the air, they would sniff and they'd snort. We'll have nothing to do with the plain belly sort. And whenever they met someone they were out walking, they'd hike right on past them without even talking. When the star-belly children went out to play ball, could a plain-belly get in the game? Not at all. You could only play if your bellies had stars, then the plain-belly children had none upon theirs. When the star-belly sneeches had frankfurter roasts, or picnics, or parties, or marshmallow toasts, they never invited the plain-belly sneeches. They left them out cold in the dark of the beaches. They kept them away, never let them come near, and that's how they treated them year after year. Then one day, it seems, while the plain-belly sneeches were moping and doping along on the beaches, just sitting there wishing their bellies had stars, a stranger zipped up in the strangest of cars. "'My friends,' he announced in a voice clear and keen, "'my name is Sylvester McMonkey McBean, and I've heard of your troubles. I've heard you're unhappy, but I can fix that. I'm the fix-it-up chappy. I've come here to help you. I have what you need, and my prices are low, and I work at great speed, and my work is 100% guaranteed.' Then, quickly, Sylvester McMoney McBean put together a very peculiar machine. And he said, you want stars like a star-bellied sneech? My friends, you can have them for three dollars each. Just pay me your money and hop right aboard. So they clamored inside, then the big machine roared, and it clonked, and it bonked, and it jerked, and it burked, and it bopped them about. But the thing really worked. When the plain belly sneeches popped out, they had stars. They actually did. They had stars upon theirs. Then they yelled at the ones who had stars at the start. We're exactly like you. You can't tell us apart. We're all just the same now, you snooty old smarties, and now we can go to your Frankfurter parties. Good grief, groaned the ones who had stars at the first. We're still the best sneeches, and they are the worst. But now how in the world will we know, they all frowned, if which kind is what are the other way round? Then up came McBean with a very sly wink, and he said things are not quite as bad as you think. So you don't know who's who, that is perfectly true. But come with me, friends, do you know what I'll do? I'll make you again the best sneeches on the beaches, and all it will cost you is ten dollars eaches. Belly stars are no longer in style, said McBean. What you need is a trip through my star-off machine. This wondrous contraption will take off your stars, so you won't like the sneeches who ha won't look like sneeches who have them on theirs. And that handy machine, working very precisely, removed all the stars from their tummies quite nicely. Then with snoots in the air, they paraded about, and they opened their beaks, and they let out a shout. We know who is who, now there isn't a doubt. The best kind of sneeches are sneeches without. Then of course those with stars got frightfully mad to be wearing a star now that was frightfully bad. Then of course old Sylvester McMoney McBean invited them into his star-off machine. Then of course from then on, as you probably guessed, things really got into a horrible mess. All the rest of that day on those wild screaming beaches, the fix-it-up chappy kept fixing up sneeches. Off again, on again, in again, out again. Through the machines they raced round and about again, changing their stars every minute or two. They kept paying money, they kept running through. Until neither the plane nor the star bellies knew whether this one was that one, or that one was this one, or which one was what one, or who what one was who. Then when every last cent of their money was spent, the fix-it-up chappy packed up and he went, and he laughed as he drove in his car off the beach. They will never learn. No, you can't teach a sneech. But McBean was quite wrong, I'm quite happy to say, that the sneeches got really quite smart on that day. 
the day they decided that sneeches are sneeches and no kind of sneech is the best on the beaches. That day all the sneeches forgot about stars and whether they had one or not upon theirs. What a great message. Unfortunately, it seems that instead of us learning from the sneeches that no sneech is the best and that your physical appearance doesn't make you them better than someone else, our culture has learned to be the fix-it-up chappy. We've created a culture where we thrive on identity machines and canceling those who don't align with our thinking or our culture or the way that we look. And instead of being like sneeches, we've become... Fix it up chappies, just in and out of the machine. Cancel this one, cancel that one. Huh. And it just is a really bad idea. Or if you prefer, here's how President Barack Obama said things in, I think this was a 2019 uh, address. He was talking to uh, young people at an Obama Foundation event. And he said, the idea of purity and you're never compromised and you're always politically woke and all that stuff. You should get over that quickly. The world is messy. There are ambiguities. People who do really good stuff have flaws. People who you are fighting may love their kids. They may share certain things with you. And he went on to note that he, he sees trends that are bothersome among young people, particularly on college campuses, where it's this sense that the way of me making change is to be as judgmental as possible about other people, and that's enough. But that's not activism. That's not bringing about change. If all you're doing is casting stones, you're probably not going to get that far. That's easy to do. So cancel culture. One of the defining marks of our society in the post-Obama presidency. Say something wrong. Tweet something people disagree with. Express an opinion on Facebook that contradicts the established view that people have or that they have a view. And the demands to be fired, defriended, debranded, or driven from the realms of normal, social, polite society... abound. We move from outrage to outrage, pointing fingers, saying, there's the bad guy. There's the bad guy. And we forget, like the president said, that people who do really good stuff have flaws. And if all you're doing is casting stones, you're not going to get very far. So, let's be the light in our culture. Let's stop casting stones and instead of casting stones and sharing means about things that we haven't really researched, let's know what we're talking about. And let's take a stand. Let's speak for those who cannot speak for themselves. When they come for them, just because you're not one of them, doesn't mean you can't speak for them. Because eventually, cancel culture is going to come for you. And last but not least, no episode on cancel culture would be complete without a shout-out to the Babylon Bee. Congrats on five years of Christian satire. This week, the Babylon Bee is five years old. You guys make my week every week. So, bravo. Congratulations to you. The anti-cancel culture, or at least exposing the lunacy of much of cancel culture today. 
And that's all the time we have left for this week. Thanks for sticking with us. It was a little longer than I was planning, but I appreciate you being here. Share the podcast with your friends, family, neighbors, anybody you want to talk about cancel culture with. Or send me your thoughts and comments on Facebook or Twitter. You can find me there at The Frittle is my public profile. And keep listening. Subscribe on SoundCloud or iTunes or wherever is your favorite place that you listen to our podcast. If you're listening here on KVXL 101.1 FM, thanks so much. Hope to see you on Sunday at Liberty Baptist Church. 8 o'clock, 945 and 1130 are our service times. Have a great week. We'll see you next time.